0: Other cosmic installations. This is Movie Geeks United. Thank you for tuning in. Jerry is on assignment this week in Costa Rica, but uh, me and Dean are here, and uh, we're excited to bring you a a great show, a great fun show. One of the things that makes this show so special is we have brought on a super fan, someone who has supported us uh, from pretty much the very beginning. Listen, listening to every show, commenting, giving us words of encouragement, he's like our Stuart Smalley. You know, you're good enough, guys. You're great. <laughs> we we really appreciate him, uh, and so we wanted to uh, make him part of the roundtable this week. Uh, Dallas Norville, Dallas, how you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Longtime listener, first time caller. Thank you guys <laughs> for having me on. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Classic. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, just just to let the people out there know, uh, I mean, we we chat with Dallas here and there uh, th- throughout the years, I we mean, we we know him. But uh, tell people a little bit about yourself. I feel like I'm a game show host or something. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome.
1: Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm I'm a part time uh, filmmaker. I write tons in my spare time. Uh, obviously, I have a, a real job to uh, pay for. Things while I'm doing that, and uh, I think I, I'm 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 about to launch a website here in Austin. Well, obviously it'll be everywhere, but it'll be focused on Austin artists, and it's kind of it's kind of meant to like profile people who struggle to create art. Uh, writers, poets, directors, editors. Uh, but we're we're kind of focusing just on interviewing and presenting the work of artists here in Austin. And, uh, you know, my, I might drown under the endeavor of this, but I have partners to, we're doing all the brain work. So I don't really have to do anything but do interviews and do the stuff that I like doing. So uh, we're finishing up contracts and we should be kicking that off hopefully in another couple of weeks here. So uh um, well, when, ha- when that when that happens
2: will
0: you let us will you let us know the uh the website where people can go and we can promote it
1: Absolutely I'd tell you now only I'm, I'd be embarrassed <coughs> for you to go look at it cuz uh I'm only now learning about things like uh frame frame designs and you know uh internet logic and website logic so it looks just horrid right now but
0: I uh, I absolutely will and I do appreciate that well and and also austin uh i mean austin obviously is a very uh it, it's really culturally it's become very rich in in recent times but so it, do you feel like austin is a place that nurtures film love in particular i i really
1: do and honestly i, I like you i i started thinking about it and, and it was it just made sense because in my own personal list just people i casually know i I know about 50 different, you know, filmmakers and musicians and, you know, music producers and sculptors. And I just keep, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting an artist in this town. And and, and that is an art form in this town. So, I mean, you could literally do that. Um, but, but <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I was sitting, I was literally sitting in a bar the other day waiting for a a, a screening of The Hidden to start. And uh, the bartender overheard us chatting about the movie. I was kind of talking it up as a love letter to L.A. And the bartender's like, you guys like movies? I'm like, yeah, I fucking love movies. I mean, that's that's who I am. And she started telling me about how she met Terrence Malick. And I was just stunned. Like, she didn't seem like a and, – and, and she went on to ask if I'd seen Song to Song. And I'm like, no, I hadn't. And she derived it as a terrible film, but she was there during – filming some of the sequences. It's just, you know, this is a, this is really a town that, you know, you see a lot of filmmaking. It's all over
0: the place. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's heaven. Well, welcome to the panel. Uh, all right. Last week's show, we opened up with, uh, uh, you know, the, the sad news that George Romero had passed. Right after the taping of last week's episode, we found out about Martin Landau's passing and the passing of another great uh, actor, that we'll have a lot to say about tonight as well, John Hurd. So let's open up with a discussion of these two gentlemen, uh, starting with Mr. Landau. Uh, obviously, most, uh, he's worked for five, six decades, but uh, most modern audiences know him from Ed Wood, for which he won an Academy Award, and uh, BAPS. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, what, <laughs> what do you guys? Uh, what do you guys think of, when you think of Martin Landau, what do you think his uh, his legacy and his his great time vault performances are?
3: Well, I mean, you know, obviously Ed Wood, but uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, of course, uh, everybody North by Northwest is gonna is gonna be the one, and and you know, the ones that uh, the others that he was nominated for Oscars for uh, Tucker, which uh, I think that was the one that really opened up. Uh, you know sort of was sort of the gateway to his sort of like middle age uh, late middle age kind of remaking of himself uh mm-hmm. um that was the that was the one that that reminded people, hey this guy is really really great and uh and then you know the next year he was nominated for crimes and misdemeanors which sort of which further uh solidified that, and a lot of people think he should have won the Oscar there – as well, but uh, but it was Ed Wood that uh, that will remain, even though <coughs> even though it's still a movie that I think you know too few people have seen uh, right. to to really make it like a cultural landmark. But um, but film lovers know it, and and uh, and you know, I mean, you know, over over six decades, you know, of course, you know, television is a big big thing here too, of course with uh Mission Impossible and and particularly my oh. <clears throat> introduction to him was with Space nineteen ninety nine because when I was a kid I had a best friend, Juan Salazar, he was a uh, Cuban uh refugee I guess from or from from Cuba, from Castros, Cuba. Anyway, uh he was a, he was my best friend uh as a kid and he tuned me into Space nineteen ninety nine which is where I really learned who Martin Landau and Barbara Bain, his wife were, and uh after that you know uh i would I would keep an eye out for him and things like you know he started appearing in things like uh meteor and uh uh, uh without warning this really bad uh sci fi movie that's kind yes. of fun and it's badness and um uh and i was like boy he really should get better roles <laughs> and uh but soon he did and uh you know that's great we're all and you know after after edward you know he really he didn't he didn't really
0: uh, uh you know Capitalize recede. on it as much as he should
2: have uh,
3: it, maybe that a little bit of that but also it did not it also he it, it, he didn't completely recede into into uh, bad movies. So I mean, he he would pop mm-hmm. up in in something pretty good uh, occasionally. Well, but,
0: I've, got, uh, I've, I've got I've got something to say about his post edward Wood run uh, after after Dallas after uh, Dallas. What, what do you think of his contributions? What kind of
2: means well, the most to you
0: from what he's done?
1: Obviously, obviously, Ed Wood is is the big one. Uh, you know, most currently, but. For me, he he just reminds me of my childhood because I, you know, I I couldn't watch TV without seeing him. He was always on, and and like Dean said, like, I I have season one and two of Space 1999 on my (laughs) DVD shelf. Like, I just pulled it off to, like, start revisiting them again because I absolutely love those episodes. To me, they're they're as engaging, if not more so, than Star Trek. And then, you know, I used to watch a lot of, you know, reruns of, like, Bonanza, The Rifleman, uh, you know, all these old sixties television shows and he was always showing up on them. He was, he was just everywhere. So for me, like growing up, I just thought he was a superstar and, you know, it was just, it just felt so natural when he kind of, you know, returned so big in Ed Wood. But, uh, yeah, but no, you're right. I, I, I kind of wish some more roles, you know, some more bigger roles had come his way after Ed Wood. Uh, it seems like a it's been a long time since then. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of a, a shame that you know we didn't see more of him before he left.
0: Well, it's interesting because I had always gone after for years. I went after Martin Landau for an interview, and we almost got him. There was a, there was a young guy, a director that did a movie, and it's a good movie with he and Ellen Burstyn from six seven years back. Yeah, uh, it's kind, it's kind of a romance. It's a nice movie, um, and Landau was going to join us on that conversation, but he was on an airplane at the time. Mm-hmm. So he was unable to, but he had agreed to. So that, that's one of those regrets. Um, I mean, Martin Landau is a, is a mainstay, uh, not to mention his, his time where he studied at the Actor studio and eventually took over co-presidential duties at the actor's studio, mm-hmm. uh, to the day of his death, I think. um, so he was very committed to the craft. He was very smart about it. If you listen to in depth interviews with him, like I think, um, who's the guy? Mark Marin, I think, interviewed Martin Landau not too long ago. And that's an hour and a half kind of masterclass on the craft. Uh, so he was oh, wow. very smart. Uh, he worked with everyone. Uh, him talking about kind of developing the role uh, with Hitchcock for North by Northwest and how they decided to make that character homosexual. Uh which at the time had to be implicit. Um that's that's an interesting tale. Uh so he's done great work over the years, but Crimes and Misdemeanors is a shining point for me, both as a film and as a his performance goes. Oh God. Uh, I and about obviously that, of at, course. Oh crimes and misdemeanors. is a basic movie. It uh but there's also the post Oscar Ed Wood run. And the, this long running debate that I always had with Chris about Martin Landau turning down a role in Casino uh, so he could do BAPS. Uh, and <laughs> I thought, and his excuse for doing that was that the, he wasn't offered a good role in Casino. And but he, it was, and <laughs> my thought... It was easy, though. <laughs> it's
3: a fine role that, you know, it's the role that Don Rickles ended up taking. And uh, it's not huge, but uh, maybe, maybe he felt, uh, I don't know, I, I wouldn't have turned it down. That's just all, <laughs> all I have to say. Just, I would have just taken it just to be part of the ensemble. Uh, right. Uh, but um, and,
1: and, and honestly, don't you think Scorsese, like the moment you get in there and he sees you and he just decides, you know, we're gonna need more Landau? Like uh-huh. I, I think he would have done that. He would have, you know, extended it, put him in other scenes. Uh, so yeah, that's
0: yeah. a huge mistake. I think that I think that should be a phrase. That should be like a bumper sticker phrase. Like we're gonna need more <laughs> cowbell. We're gonna need more Landau. <laughs>
3: we're gonna need more Landau. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. The, that 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 performance, you know, those three performances—Tucker, uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors, and Ed Wood—to me are really the. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to discount his early work, uh, but I feel like he was more important in television uh, uh, than he was in the movies or in the early days. I mean, yes, there's Pork Chop Hill, there's there's Cleopatra, uh, you know, uh, the Hallelujah Trail, and And uh, things like that, Uh, but uh, but television was really the thing. But those three later performances are the ones, and uh, just they're the ones that he'll be remembered for. And uh, most most of all, uh, as far as movies go, and but Ed Wood, I mean, you know, he is so funny, so real. He is Bela Lugosi in that movie. He is he, he became that person. It it, it wasn't just the makeup. It wasn't just the accent. He became him. Uh, He uh, and uh, you know, I mean, so many extraordinary scenes in that in that film with him. But uh, particularly, you know, I I remember the the scene where he's you know uh, calling Edward over, which comes from truth, by the way. This is that was a true a very, very truthful representation of what really happened. He called Ed Wood over and said oh, he was gonna kill himself. He offered to take Ed Wood with him <laughs> and uh Ed talked him down off the ledge and uh, uh that scene uh you know uh, helped along with, with uh Steven Sapsky's amazing uh black and white photography and uh is is extraordinary uh, on a dramatic level uh but on the yeah. comedic level uh the scene with him uh, fighting the rubber octopus in the middle of a <laughs> uh, of a fake <laughs> in the middle of a fake pool or whatever is just unbelievable uh in terms of uh energy and um commitment uh, you know, throw me the whiskey and, and uh, let's shoot this fucker and all that kind of stuff. It's just, oh man, it is so, it is just
0: unbelievably great. But then you know you got to. He was a true. Listen. He was a true actor. I mean, yes. you, you yeah. give you give you give a real actor an opportunity and they will jump in with everything that they have. Yeah. And when he was given you know, the opportunity it, to really expand himself, he he did it. Mmm. And, and, and let's be honest, like,
1: if, if we talk about Tim Burton's filmography, like, did he ever make a film that had the kind of gravity that Ed Wood had? And would he have been able to pull that off without Landau in that role?
3: That's, like, seriously,
1: that's, like, he just... He never had that in his career. I, I don't see it yeah. before or since then.
3: Yeah, there's something magical about Ed Wood that's, that just seems like all of the all of the things have clicked together. You know, the behind the, the behind the camera talent and uh, the screenplay, uh, amazing screenplay by Kurosuke and um, and uh, the other guy. I Forgot his name, but uh, uh, just uh, you know, a, a great idea you know, here's let's just let's make this expensive, beautiful looking movie about the guy who makes <laughs> the worst looking, cheapest looking movies ever. Uh <laughs> and and make it a movie about personal uh uh expression. And uh let's equate Ed Wood with uh, uh Orson Wells, because uh, there, there's an argument yeah. to be made there. <laughs> and uh and uh it's, it's so rich, uh you know, I mean Again, you know, when I went to see Ed Wood in the theaters opening weekend, there were like eight other people in the theater. When when uh, he, when Landau ended up winning the Oscar, he, he, he said he said I think everybody who saw the movie was in the room with him that night. Uh, but uh, that that doesn't diminish the fact that the of course that the movie is is nearly perfect.
0: And uh yeah. and yes, it wouldn't have been perfect without him. There's nobody else It's a movie that everybody loves. I mean yeah. it's not like they avoided it in droves because they they didn't they didn't like it, uh because people that actually do see it are really charmed by it. Yeah. And it's the kind of movie that brings out you know, it's wholly a Tim Burton movie. Uh and yet it takes Tim Burton's art to another level too.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, that I, don't, that
0: I don't think he's matched since I mean his movies have become More and more impersonal I think uh, And I think Ed Wood feels like His most personal in in a big way Okay yeah. uh, Secondly John Heard Passed away Yesterday at the age of 72 In a Palo Alto hotel room As he was recovering for back, from back surgery That he had on Wednesday uh, So the actual Cause of his death hasn't been disclosed Yet Interestingly enough, John Heard did a, his last interview on Tuesday with Ileana Douglas. And five days later, he would be dead. Well, Dean, you interviewed him last year, I think May man. of last year, for the 35th anniversary of Cutter's Way. And uh, I even called you after I edited that interview and I said, man, what a surprising interview because this is a man that did great work. He was in so much that we love and uh, I don't think he fully realized that there were people out there that were very, very admiring of him and his contribution.
3: Well, I was—I think you're right. I, you know, I, I was list, re-listening to the show yesterday after I heard it was passing, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, i I think that even while we were doing – the interview, and I was mentioning there's a point where I start mentioning other movies that he's done, not just Cutter's Way, but also uh, uh, and Chili's Winter that we talk about extensively on that uh, interview, but also things like Mind Walk and, uh, and uh, uh, Cat People. And um, you know, like when I mentioned Mind Walk, he went, oh, wow, because he just couldn't believe that somebody had seen it and loved it. Uh, and that is a movie that deserves to be seen. It's it's a little obscure movie. It's kind of a tip of the hat to something like My Dinner with Andre, with uh, Lee Volman and and uh, Sam Waterston and uh, heard you know kind of walking around the European countryside and having uh, very deep philosophical discussions. Uh, but you know you know things like Big and. And awakenings and trip to bountiful and uh, he really had an extraordinary career. I mean, uh, a heartbeat and uh, and on the yard and uh, heaven help us and beaches and uh, uh, rambling Rose. It's just you know, I mean, uh, an amazing amazing career. But I feel like he you get the feeling that from the interview that he feels like he, he feels like that he turned into a hack actor, which. If you do look at his career uh, over the past two decades, there really is a, an unfortunate paucity of <clears throat> notable movies. You yeah, know he I mean? really. I mean,
1: well, well the the great thing about him is like he could he would pop up in something and suddenly it legitimized what you were watching even more. When John Heard would pop up in like in The Line of Fire or Snake Eyes, of uh, like for yeah. me and I, and I, I always. I'm always weird about going back to radio flyer because people have different feelings about that movie. I had kind of a uh, abusive stepfather situation when I was younger. So that was one of those movies that's like, uh, it's a weird emotional, you know, stab to the heart, but you know, he, he was, he was kind of the good guy in that he was, you know, and, in, in like, he was an amazing presence in that. And, uh, yeah, but like, you know, post Snake Eyes in in 98, his, you know, he obviously worked really, really hard to get roles. And I I have to say that, you know, I was, uh, I was having a, you know, taco movie afternoon where I was watching bad movies and I put on Sharknado and you could, it looked like I'd been hit by a brick when I saw John Hurd in the first, you know, 10 minutes in that movie. And I'm like, what the fuck is John Hurd doing in Sharknado? Like in third billing after Tara (laughs)
3: Reid? I mean, please. (laughs) yeah i mean he's literally only in it for five minutes and that's in sharknado i mean like he pops up in in something like um i i think he's in that too big to fail uh the uh uh the hbo movie but he's literally Mm -hmm. only in it for like 15 seconds uh he, he he has literally the first shot in the movie that has a human in it and um uh, you see him coming off an aer- airplane and make, uh, or a helicopter and making a phone call, and that's the last you see of him. And uh, it seems like there were a lot of roles like that. Like, in the, I know he was in Denzel Washington's The Great Debaters, and, uh, and in that he plays a, a southern sheriff. Um, and I think he's only in that for one or two scenes. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I, you know, he was, I think he was a little tortured. Uh, he was, he was obviously, he was, uh, according to uh, Daniel Stern, who was a great friend of his uh, from back in the New York days, wrote a really beautiful sort of eulogy for him uh, after uh, after hearing of his death and, uh, and said, you know, back in, Back in 75 to 85, no one could touch, in New York, no one could touch John Heard in terms of cool, in terms of uh, talent, um, uh, you know, uh, because he was very big on stage. You know, when he started making movies, I didn't even realize this, but by the time he had started making movies, he was already like in his early 30s. See, when I was talking to him over the phone, I was thinking he was much younger like at least ten years younger than he than he really was, uh, but um, uh, you know he
0: he died at age seventy two. Um, so he was well. And plus, he, he he's when he started at the in the theater, I mean he, uh, I mean he was major in the theater scene, and 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 back when he started in it, uh, that was a very close knit community, uh, and he was working with people that would eventually become giants and have very. Successful careers, people like Al Pacino. I mean, that was in the inner his inner circle, um, and so. But but you know, it's one of those kind of mystifying things that uh, that kind of uh, escape a definition. Like who can who who has it to be a star like an above the marquee star, or or who will be the character actor? You know. Mm-hmm uh and, and sometimes those roads will merge here and there but uh John Hurt was one of those essential presences as a as a character actor that would pop up in something like The Sopranos and he would make it an indelible character you know
3: mm-hmm.
0: he had a very specific kind of vocal tone uh, and
3: delivery yeah. that was uh that was really kind of unlike anybody else's and uh you know, he, he was mainly a stage actor. I think that was where his real passion in acting lay. lay. And um, uh, I think, you know, you could get this from the interview that we had. That uh, I mean, obviously, in working in those movies, those, his first movies, he he wasn't quite he wasn't quite up to snuff in terms of what had to be done in order to make the movie and I think that frustrated his acting ability uh, or it frustrated him not his acting ability but it just frustrated him to have to wait to give the performance because there's so much preparation yeah. that need to be done and um, uh, I think that kind of um, that kind of reaction to, to the work of other people is something that might have affected his uh, maybe ha- affected his ability to to enjoy doing movies, uh, and maybe that's the reason that, that he concentrated on smaller parts because uh, he just if he had a larger part it would it would get very frustrating for him I suppose.
0: Right. Well, um I, I recommend everyone go, everyone see. I mean, the reason why Cutter's Way he's great in Cutter's Way and Cutter's Way is a great unsug movie, but one of the particular reasons why that movie is so uh, uh, surprising is that I would never have thought of casting John heard in that role. I mean, at that time I would think a role like that would go to somebody like John Savage or someone, someone like that. And and I John was Herd literally like just sh- going to say that John Savage is like, you know, I, I, I would, I, for years I got them confused
1: just because they had that same type of delivery. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until John heard got a little older and, you know, you know, packed on a few more pounds, and you know, I started distinguishing between them. But they, they both had that very edgy kind of, you know, they both brought that thing to a role that would like, it, it, you just couldn't believe it. They'd walk in and they'd steal the movie
0: in like five minutes.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. But you, you can really watch Cutter's Way it, it, if you know John Hurd from Home Alone, and The Pelican Brief, and and those kinds of turns. You won't know who that is in Cutter's Way, <laughs> yeah. which has yeah. to be the ultimate compliment for an actor. I mean that's quite a performance man he he
3: he he gave everything that he had to that, and um, i mean i would I would posit that also in Chili sees a winner is is also even though he's you know not taked under any kind of makeup or anything that's also another one that i mean i rewatched that one yesterday uh uh um after listening to the interview and uh got a little over clipped over it actually uh but uh that, that movie always you know hits me in the hits me in the gut but uh you know I'm sitting there watching the movie and I'm like thinking thinking about that old aphorism of you know that I've been thinking about more and more lately uh that uh Howard Hawks had of like well what makes a great movie well all you need in a great movie it's three fantastic scenes and no bad ones, and I'm like, wow, this movie really does that. <laughs> it really, yeah. it really does, you know, prove that to be true. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I find both of those performances extraordinary. But uh, you know, I, I, there's so many others. You know, I mean, I love, I love him in After Hours. You know, that that scene where he's, uh-huh. <laughs> where he finds out that. His girlfriend, Marcy, is killed, has killed herself, uh, uh, and we find out that it's the same character that Griffin Dunn's been chasing after, Rosanna Arquette, mm-hmm. uh, is, is devastating. <laughs> He's devastating. He only has about three scenes in the movie, but he makes a real, real impression, and he did that over and over again. Uh now later on he got he got a little typecast. I feel like as the, sort of like the yuppie asshole. Uh um in things like Big and and Awakenings, you know, like like kind of an executive jerk jerkwad that uh, is uh is is in there to frustrate the the heroes, you know, uh progress. Right. And um uh yeah, to, to you know, I think you know, it, an actor as smart as that knows he's being starting to be typecast, and that's when you, he, you know, I'm
0: sure they, if they're smart enough, they, yeah. They but, feel, but but they I mean, people, slide. people, there's there's such a cynicism today. Where oh yeah, he. I'm not talking about John Hurt necessarily, but when, when you talk about a certain actor, and they always bring up like their worst worst movie, and mm. they say, oh yeah, he was great, and blah blah blah, and it's to kind of dismiss them. But uh there are undeniably great actors out there and you could see it in their in their work when they're given the opportunities. So th- whatever career slide somebody like John Hurd might have suffered, it just speaks to the limited thinking of the people that were hiring him. Uh not his abilities.
3: Mhm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, Let's talk about Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yes. Which sounds like a one of William oh, Shatner's oh, yeah. sexual fetishes. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to I'm going to set my phaser on stun, and I'm going to give you a Dunkirk. Okay, uh, I have I have definite thoughts about this movie. We've we've all seen it, which is awesome. Dallas, why don't you start by by telling us some of your thoughts about it?
1: Okay, uh, let me just start by saying, visually stunning. Uh, there's there's staging and scenes that you know will haunt me visually. Uh, I, I I found you know I found a lot of the scenes they were exciting to watch, uh, but overall, even though I was kind of engaged, I found it to be very antiseptic, and I, I was never emotionally connected to the film. And I hate saying that because I I really wanted to be like I went to the movie, my wife literally chose not to go with me because the trailer has made her tear up like several times and she didn't think she could make it to the film. I almost moved my seat to the side because I thought, well, if I start crying like a baby in this movie, I might want to be over in the corner by myself. And I got nothing from it except like a, an, a, it, it was visceral and it was, you know, mm. it was loud and it was, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever see you know, staging like that with the, you know, dog fights and, you know, the ships and the the soldiers and, you know, the, the huge beaches, you know, I I was blown away visually, but I just, at the end of the day, I did not have an emotional connection to it. And I, I just, I'm starting to wonder if, uh, if I can have a connection with any of his films anymore. Uh,
0: they're,
1: They're so, they feel so logical. They feel so, you know, it, it's like I, I have a slide ruler and I've I've created a perfect film, but I forgot to engage you emotionally. Like, and and honestly, as I say this, I'm I'm looking for someone to tell me I'm wrong. I'm looking for somebody who had a great emotional connection. But
0: why? Me, why why it do it was, you think uh, it? Why do you think it fails? To, it failed to reach you emotionally. Why do you think that is? If it's visual, but not emotional. I I think I think there's
1: not enough. I I think he went with the uh, he went with that that method of uh, trying to trying to engage you by showing you this action. At some point you're going to, you see human beings suffering and you're just going to, you know, uh, relate to them and you're going to put yourself in their role. And I, 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 I disagree with that. I think, I think, you know, it goes back to that thing where, you know, Peckinpah was talking about the mistake he made with wild bunch and, you know, that prolonged violence, you just kind of get numb to it after a while. And for me, I think that's what happened. It wasn't, he never crossed that line where I found it funny and I wasn't known, but I, it's not a situation like, you know, if I see you trip and fall on the ground, that's something I can do. And I relate to you and I feel bad for you, but you know, I, I can't relate to bombs being dropped on you. I can watch it and I can sympathize, but it never draws me in. And I feel like those little human quiet moments, there, there just weren't enough of them to pull me into any of the characters, uh,
0: I, I think that I well, that for that's me, a that's word, what it that's, was. That's a good word. That's a good word that you just brought up. Characters, <laughs> because <laughs> you know it's, something's okay, been making who the, the rounds Character lately. in this
1: film.
0: <laughs> yeah, there, there's this review that's out that has this really kind of asinine statement in it that you know uh, there are no there are no women or uh, people of color in the film. Uh, I mean, this is taking kind of PC to another level to kind of rewrite history. But uh, and somebody posted that on their page, and I made a comment. I said, "Forget about women or people of color. The movie has no characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's got no people in it." Uh, anyway, okay, Dean, go go ahead.
3: I I am the person to tell you that I did find an emotional connection to the movie. Um, okay, so there's three parts to the movie. There's the uh, there's the Mark Rylance part on on the small ship that's really supposed to be taking place over a week. There's the Harry Styles part where he's a soldier trying to survive. Uh, And that takes place over a day, just in case people don't know this. And the uh, Tom Hardy part with him in the airplane takes place over an hour. So it's playing with temporal time shifts, of course. Which is something that uh, you know Nolan does well. Uh, although I think that it leads to somewhat of, uh, uh, somewhat of a confusion to people, <clears throat> and it and it can obscure uh, character. There's also not a lot of dialogue in the movie, and what dialogue there is there is, you know, also typical to Nolan is sometimes unintelligible. Uh that's I can't partially... wait to be
0: able to hear what I can't be, I can't wait to be able to hear what Tom Hardy says in any of these movies.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh it it, it is partially un, unintelligible uh, partially because of the uh of the British accents but also the military speak that's that's involved. Uh however, this is a movie that could be shown with the sound cut off. By the way, it is the loudest movie that I've ever seen ever. Uh, I mean, it was like it was like him flicking sits around. <laughs> That's how I mean. I was, you know, the the walls were shaking. Uh, but um, it is a movie that I believe could be shown without sound and still be as effective as it is. As far as the characters go, I mean, I definitely connected with the characters uh, on. Uh, I guess for me, you know, look, it's a process movie and in process movies, you know, that's a term that we use uh on the show for um movies that movies that present a problem on the outset and by at the end of the movie, the movie ends when the problem is solved. And in these movies things like Andromeda Strain or I'm try, I was struggling to try and think of more process movies, and maybe you can help me Jamie, but um
0: in those kind of movies character is not an issue
3: uh,
0: it's the problem yeah, that yeah, is but in is. In, the, in the in the best of those movies character is defined by action as they are in all movies so if you if you're looking at something like a all the president's men which is the process of investigating and writing on papers and making phone calls they're not doing exciting stuff in that movie but the characters are being defined by them doing that stuff, well, I think that's the case here too i mean I think I think
3: Tom Hardy's character is is somebody who won't give up who's obviously not going to give up even when his plane fucking you know doesn't do what he wants it to do uh, uh Mark Rylance is somebody that's absolutely not going to give up even even when his sons are being threatened on the boat. Uh, um, he is, they are, it's the resolve, you know, the characters, even the faceless characters, you know, in that long line of, of uh, soldiers, you know, trying to take cover from the oncoming Germans. Uh, you can say, well, we don't get to know any of them, but, okay, so what do we want here? Do we want little uh little asides of them reading letters from home from Ma and mom and da, you know, like, hello, son, I can't wait for you to come home so you can take over the chip shop or, uh, uh, your, your, your lovely, uh, uh, wife, Diana still wants to see you or whatever, you know, we can just assume that every single one of those soldiers has a family that they want to get home to. We don't need to hear it. We don't need to hear people singing patriotic songs on the beach. Like somebody wanted some, one of my friends wanted, I mean, this is obviously a movie that's going to get a tremendous backlash. If it gets any kind of success in, in awards time or whatever. Um, but, I don't think that any of that stuff is necessary. I can assume already that the people who are fighting against the Germans are good people who deserve my empathy. I don't want to see, I don't need to have some kind of lottery to prove that they're worth my caring for them. I care for them implicitly because they're fighting against evil. So, why do I need to know about
0: their personal lives?
3: Or anything like that. You don't need care any about story. them.
0: I care about them. You don't them. need any backstory. I mean, my my point is, everybody's made a big deal about Harry Styles being in this movie. It didn't matter if he was in it or not.
3: I mean, well, no. why doesn't
0: matter who, who plays that part? He's not playing the role. Well, I mean,
3: <laughs> it doesn't. You know, everybody. See, that's the problem. See, you you cast a star in something like that. Well, he was cast without Nolan even knowing he was already a star. So he was just like, he's like cast him and, and said, oh, he's good, you know, and that's it. I mean, yes, it's not a, a it a character where you, oh, he tells a funny joke or, uh, oh, he likes to play poker or, or uh, uh, oh, he's, he's kind of a drinker <laughs> or something but, like but, that. But, no, but, it's but not that. This, but, but, this is a movie that takes, thing, place, like- takes place under immense chaos. And this is a movie that is about the ballet of survival. That's all it's, but it's about. about. But it's kind of, it's, it's this God's eye view. It's, it's the
1: thing Nolan. That's always what does. Movies it's, are. It's, no, they're not always that. Sometimes they get in closer and they get in more emotional. There's, there's room for a little bit of human emotion in these. He's trying so hard to be Stanley Kubrick with his God's eye view and, I I mean, I, I, I make the same argument that a lot of Kubrick films don't grab me emotionally. I mean, technically they're brilliant. They're perfect. Uh, You know, every, every, every staging is just dead on, but like, it, it doesn't grab me emotionally. And, you know, I'm sorry. Like I would like, you know, it's, it's when I make a friend in, in a, in a, just walking through a library or something, it's, it's a little human interaction I just, you know, being bombarded and watching all these people suffer over and over again. Yeah, I feel for them, but I don't. I don't put myself emotionally in their shoes. I don't. I don't cry when they die, which is, which is.
3: Well, it wasn't. I don't think it was ever going for that. I don't think it ever even entered into the mind of the maker to have a cry, a moment that, that uh, that was like a try for a cry. I mean, I think the closest thing we come is, you know, towards the end of the movie, but I'm not going to say anything about it, right, but right. Uh, 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 it, it does get rather sentimental uh, in, in its wrap-up, and uh, and the reason for that is, and the reason for the incessant music and the incessant uh, sound, uh, and, and I can see where that might rub some people the wrong way, both of those elements, but... The music is there to provide pressure and to count away time. That's what's going on in the movie. It is about pressure and time. And mm-hmm. that is the movie is not about emotion. It is about it is about trying to stay alive and it's not trying to make you cry. See, some let movies, me, let me ask, let me some ask movies do question. try and make you cry. Some people, some movies want your emotional investment, and some movies don't. They don't care so, about so, that.
1: Okay, let's take a different so, road here. Let's take a different road here. We've we've talked about like the emotional connection, and we we have a different take on it. So let's just talk about the general story and the way it's told. I found most of it to be very predictable, like. I, and, and without mentioning the things, because I don't want to ruin it for anybody, because I, I want people to enjoy this film, because uh, technically it's brilliant, but, you know, I, I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, this is about to happen, because this is the setup, and it's like, this film is filled with those, it's like the setup is here, and here it here's the payoff, and I don't think it's because I've watched too many films, I, I just think it's like, I don't know. I, I I found myself kind of bored because I knew what was going to happen, and I, I don't know this story. And maybe it's because there's so many war stories and there's so many tropes, but I I found that they were all there. Like I, I was like shocked that hey, where's where's Snidely Whiplash tying a woman to the uh you know the train tracks because like. <laughs> They were all in there,
0: and it bored me to tears. Oh, was that one well, in there? I, I didn't, I didn't see the <laughs> train. But I mean, look, less less than the lack of characters, and and um, you know, I wasn't asking the movie to make me cry. Uh, right. That that didn't bother me as much as uh, him having Hans Zimmer do all the heavy lifting for him. Look, there's 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 a there's a lot of great uh, imagery in this movie. It's very cleanly staged. Some of the best aerial stuff I've ever seen. Um, it's also uh, a pretty bloodless, uh, uh, bloodless war scenes, which you know is fine. Uh, Nolan has the uh, the um, admiration for Kubrick, but not the mind. I think that uh, Kubrick m- might have been able to actually infuse this with something other than uh, survival. Uh, as the key theme in every scene, um, but the the thing that really irked me was the score, and it would be a minor annoyance if if it were used sparingly. But I paid attention. There is not a full minute. Of no. The
3: movie
0: no, there's the literally can... not. There's
3: not even. There's not even ten. There's literally not even ten seconds. The music doesn't end until the very end of the movie. Uh, yeah, mean, and is. the
0: music, the music. <clears> I mean, the stopwatch is fine, the ticking <laughs> is fine, but the music is. And if you sit through that shit for an hour and forty-five minutes, the movie literally made me sick. I mean, I think I, it was Matthew. I, 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 I think it's well, Matthew. Matthew good, you if, if I if I feel like vomiting on myself, why the fuck would I pay to see that movie? <laughs> well, people pay to see I can, movies I can that can make them want to
3: vomit all the time. Hey, I think something wrong with the end of Blair Witch Project. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, you know, the, that's uh, you know, I, I, you know, look, I, I, I well, that's that's a criticism that I can take to heart. The, the score, I mean, because it's, it's the, the incessant wall to wall music is something that I rail about against all the time on this show and it's it 's all over the place it's uh it 's not only in narrative movies it's in documentaries and uh and, and of course in action movies and so forth it just never stops and uh i would like I would like filmmakers to remember the power of silence every once in a while and his
0: images and his imagery is really good so why why would why undercut it? Would that and look at look at saving Private Ryan. There is no score on what many people consider one of the great war scenes of all time at the opening of that film, or That's the true. closing
3: that is true. no question about it. You're absolutely right. It just for me, I felt like the music was fine because I felt like I felt like it was there for a specific reason. To, uh, to make you sick. <laughs> to I think it wanted to. I wanted to. I think it. I think it's a psychic friction that's put into the movie in order yeah. to make you feel like these people felt in this situation, in which every second counted. Uh, every second was uh, had to be used in order to get out of a situation uh... that was uh... lethal and uh... there was no uh... there was no uh... ability uh... because it is you know it's 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 an event that happened over eight days but there's the there's the time the time playing with time in the movie that uh... maybe confuses uh... some people Uh, I think think,
0: think you could look at that movie I think you could look at that movie and think that it takes place in a day And it wouldn't make any difference I don't think knowing the difference between a day and eight days makes any difference Yeah,
3: well, uh, I mean, that's that's certainly possible But uh, I think if you go back And and I'm certainly going to go back and take a look at it I'm going to be able to, we're going to be able to see more connections between scenes that we might not have seen before. And I think that's great. Uh it's going to up the rewatchability factor of the movie. Uh and uh, and I I was I was completely utterly trans, uh, transfixed by the film. Uh obviously on a technical level, but on on and uh on an emotional level, it doesn't really it <laughs> it doesn't really get into sentiment but it gets into right. like sort of like the lizard brain quality of emotions where you're just like jeez i just want to get out of here you know it's well it's, it's I, that I don't, ha- I don't have a
0: problem that, that i don't I, I wasn't asking the movie to be sentimental and and i understand if he's not going after char- specific characters it's because he wants to uh, paint a portrait of them as a unit.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so, you know, so one is uh, uh, interceptable with the other, you know, uh, uh, can't be separated from the other. I mean, they're a unit trying to achieve a goal. Mm-hmm. But what it felt like, to, it just played very impersonal to me, uh, which is different from unsentimental. And it almost felt like knowing Nolan's particular uh, preferences for the bigness of cinema and the cinematic experience. You know how in the old days, in the 80s, where you'd go into a store and and they'd pick the most rockin' tune to play uh, to, to, to really test out the limits of the sound systems that they were selling? Uh, this felt like the movie version of that in the theater. Like Nolan was saying, look how big the sound is, look how big, Look how gorgeous these images are in the big screen which is fine but it still felt like a technical demo to me uh more than an involving movie uh, that was just my so, reaction to it. Let, let me let me let me say this like I, I i think it it's something and it's not just Nolan
1: i think i think a lot of filmmakers in general have forgotten that you know and and you can go back to the basics of you know why do we call the climax of the the screenplay the climax cuz it's the biggest moment you've built up to it and and in doing that you have to have ups and downs. You know, film language is it's it's a language. You need your commas, you need periods, you need full stops and pauses, yeah. you need to change. You need the a parallel. moment of silence. And this, exactly. <laughs> it's it's I mean, and I, I hate to draw the parallel that's so obvious, but it's it's like sex. It's like you need, you need a little bit of foreplay, you need some build up, and then you get to the payoff and it's just like this movie just hammer, 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 hammer and I'm just I'm exhausted. <laughs> I mean <laughs> And and here's the funniest thing. It was exhausting. It was exhausting. And and here's the thing that, like, uh, like I'm I'm sandwiched between two couples, and I have no idea why you'd go see Dunkirk on a date night movie, (laughs) but like. (laughs) <laughs> like, but they they all seemed very excited The couples on all sides of me But like there was there was clearly a point At the one hour mark Where I looked to my left and the right And both these boyfriends or husbands Were patting their, their significant other on the leg Like doing that apology Like I'm so sorry and Soon it was like I, I I didn't know it was going to be like this <laughs> and, like, and I was so glad I didn't bring my wife Because I didn't need another movie fight <laughs> 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 oh, all right oh,
0: all right that's dunkirk dunkirk we're we're done with dunkirk yes done with dunkirk. uh all right so uh dean what else have you seen uh
3: you know i <clears throat> i've been catching up with with some stuff this week and um <clears throat> i watched uh the circle have you guys seen the circle yet <laughs> no is that the uh is that the Tom Hanks thing? Yes, <laughs> that, was, that was what a crazy movie that is. Now it's it's done by a friend of mine, James Ponsult, who's done lots of great movies, in, uh, you know, in the past few years, particularly uh, the end of the tour, and um, and um, uh, the spectacular, spectacular now. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and this is something very different for him. Uh, Emma Watson, uh, plays a, uh, um, a young girl who's plucked out of a, you know, go nowhere job and asked to be part of the team at this thing called the circle, which is sort of like Google basically. And, uh, plays
0: her her father, right? Uh, yeah. uh,
3: Yes. Uh, two two actors have their one of their last roles in the movie as her parents oh, both God. Glenn Headley and oh, bill yeah. paxton uh, yeah. uh play her parents um, Paxton plays a, 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 a the father has multiple sclerosis so it's uh, kind of uh,
0: kind of tragic in some ways but um now now just to be clear about this, do you blame the movie for either one of their deaths
1: <laughs> no
0: probably not <laughs> okay <laughs> but, okay i
1: i have to i have to interject <laughs> just, just really quickly so since I, I guess we're we're sort of friends with mike white on the show you've been on his show a few yeah friends, i love mike white. Yeah. But, yeah did you notice that mike white interviewed glenn headley and uh yeah and uh yeah, yeah. John John Hurt, like almost yeah. like a couple couple episodes apart so like Mike White interviews you, you might die. <laughs> <Yeah. It's easy. laughs>
3: well, you can say that about us, too. And all the people that I talk, I've talked to have passed away in the middle of, in the, in the space of a year.
0: But, um, <laughs> hey, could you interview Dan Aykroyd for me?
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Try and set that up for me. We'll see what we can do. Oh, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, The Circle is a nutball movie, but it re- i mean—it doesn't work a lot of the time. Uh, she gets put into this into this Google thing that's, that's led by not only Tom Hanks but also Pat Oswalt. It's kind of like a, a nefarious guy that's like hanging out in the shadows, and uh, but. Uh, uh they they want to launch a program where they put little tiny cameras every place in the world like into trees and in 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 buildings and all you know on on you know buoys out in the ocean and stuff like that they're going to they want to be able to watch everything they want the world to watch everything and basically it's a movie about the erasure of privacy Uh, And in that idea, there's some really, really strong scenes that really make you think. But then there's the, the failures of the screenplay. They never really, you know, eventually Emma Watson becomes like a big deal. In fact, she's almost received as somebody who, you know, from the outset, as somebody who's a big deal, even though she's plucked from obscurity. And you're like wondering, well, why is she such a big deal? Why does everybody think she's so smart? Whatever, you know, it's like she's not really that smart in the movie, uh, especially to have such a meteoric rise as she does in it. And there's some rid- lots of ridiculous plot machinations that don't work and are kind of embarrassing. She has a best friend played by L.R. Coltrane, the guy who was in uh, Boyhood, you know, the boy in Boyhood. And uh, and he's very anti-technology, he wants to live off the grid. And he she kind of drags him into her world uh, that he doesn't approve of. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, and it also kind of sets up kind of a thing where it's Hanks and Oswald, who are kind of uh, terrible people just for being like old timers, you know, in this sea of uh, – in the sea of, you know, young tech enthusiasts. Uh but there are some really great ideas in it and lots and it does make you think. The movie does make you think. So it's another one of those movies like a one I talked about last week, uh Quiet Passion. Where it's like, "Wow, this thing is working, oh shit, it's not working anymore, oh shit, it's working again this <laughs> it's got like it's got like only two gears, and it's just constantly going back and forth between them, but it got savaged uh at at you know critically and died at the box office. but I do
0: think there's something there there's something interesting there well, by the way, by the way, Dean, this is from Alan Schulman on Twitter. <laughs> Being so right about quiet passion, surprisingly awful, like a high school production. Couldn't get through it. That's it. That
3: uh, that that is it. Absolutely nobody. Very few people are saying it, but because uh, they don't want to, they don't want to say it about a wonderful filmmaker like Terrence Davies. I mean, he's just masterful. I mean, his last movie was just, you know, it, it, Sunset Song was, you know, of a piece of of some of his even greater movies. But uh this was just like some I don't know. There was just something was wrong.
0: <laughs> something was wrong and there. Is, and this is uh this is from Grant's tutoring. Uh I totally agree about Anthony Mann's tall target. You forgot to mention that Dick Powell's character is John Kennedy. Freaky. Yes.
3: <laughs> I did forget that. That is crazy that uh, his name is John Kennedy in it. But uh yeah, so great. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's, So people uh, are listening to you. That's good. That's <laughs> that, it, that's that's heartening. It's good to hear. Uh, but uh, most of the past week, <laughs> this is crazy. But uh, most of this past week, I've been uh, uh, obsessed with one thing and one thing only, and that is celebrity bowling.
2: <laughs> I've been watching. <laughs>
3: I've been watching episodes. I, you know, to find the great stuff on Amazon Prime takes real dedication. You've got to go in there, and you've got to go flipping through it, flipping through it. You've got to keep looking and using little tricks to get to the get to the stuff that they've got hidden in there somewhere. But uh, in doing all these tricks, I found Celebrity Bowling. They have three seasons, and you can find, them on, find some episodes of it on uh, YouTube as well. But it's a show I think it's I think it's a show that they did in the fifties, but then they brought it back in the seventies. So these are the seventies episodes. But uh, you know, a ridiculous array of of, of stars, both major and not so major, uh play, bowling, very simple, you know, kind of games, uh ten frames. Uh but, you know, you got William Shatner, uh Angie Dickinson, uh, George Foreman, Lawrence Harvey, um, Michael Douglas, uh, Whitman Mayo, Ernest Borgnine, um, uh, Trini Lopez, Rue McClanahan—just uh, an amazing, you know, John Saxon, and and uh, you know, just people that you never get to see. I don't know doing something Bowl. like this. <laughs> and I'm not a bowling enthusiast. I'm a hu- hugely bad bowler because I'm left-handed and I don't know how to hold the thing. But man, I've had so much fun looking at all these Bob Newhart and and uh, who's a fantastic bowler and uh and also uh another great bowler is uh, Roy Rogers. Uh and um and another fantastic one is uh Michael Cole. Uh Michael Cole. Was are, we really the best talk, bowler. are we really talking about celebrity bowling? <laughs> yeah, we uh, are. We are, but I I'm serious. I'm serious. I recommend I don't want to go on too long about it cuz it's pretty simple, but I do recommend no, no, please, to people
0: continue.
3: Yeah, uh, I do recommend to people to go and take out it's got a great theme song. Uh it speeds right by. Uh, it's it's great sort of time time waster kind of watching like it's a little bit of a taco TV show, uh, in that you know if you're eating something good it's just gonna you know it's it's great <laughs> watching <laughs> it's
1: just fun. Hey dude, hey dude. can I ask? Because I've been dying to ask. Like, yes. how does how does a movie that gets it done is that better or less than a taco movie? I've been trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good question.
2: We I need, think, We need uh, a ranking
1: I, system. I need to know if taco movie is better or worse than it
3: gets it done. <laughs> well, see, the taco movie needs the tacos to work. If you don't have the tacos, <laughs> it's not going to work. So, I mean, like, if and celebrity bowling is much, I think, probably for most people, would be much the same same way. You know, it's like it gets the job done, but only if you have something good to eat, you know, there. Uh, So, I mean, it's just uh but hey, I watched uh I also watched this week a movie that you recommended to uh, me, Jamie. I watched uh Born to Be Blue. The uh Oh
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: That was uh quite good, I thought. I was uh isn't Ethan Hawke good in that? Huh? But he's fantastic. He's the reason to watch it. I mean, Carmen Ejogo is good too. Um but uh but he's I abso- uh, obviously the reason to watch it, you know, playing Chet Baker and uh they did a good job with the music he did a good job with his singing i thought he did a good job yeah. with you know yeah. emulating uh baker's uh tone and uh he, he just the uh, and, and the movie itself uh it it skirted some you know biopic biopic clichés but it uh, and and some of them you know it, it included with veal but um but the numbers that it kind of sidestepped a little bit were were you know came, was a little bit higher i think
0: than the ones that it
3: embraced so
0: yeah and, and it's not uh i mean it's uh, some of those are unavoidable because i mean clichés actually happen in life uh that's yeah. how they became clichés uh so if you're going to tell a, uh, an artist story uh some of them have to be avoidable unavoidable i think but at the same time what surprised me about it was that it wasn't so much of a downer Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, even though he, he was a very kind of melancholy person, there's great jubilance in, in sections of it, I thought. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just a jubilance in artistry, uh, and artistry that I, an I And it kind of an embrace. Love.
3: And an embrace. I mean, yes, we're talking about somebody who had uh, a heroin addiction. And uh, I don't want to. But he, I want to say, the character embraces his heroin addiction. He doesn't, it's not a movie about him trying to kick the habit. Um, it's a movie about trying to understand exactly why someone would go that route. And why so many, I think, jazz musicians have gone that route. Uh you know he, it it's explained quite well in the movie about him talking about how the drug kind of elongates time for him and uh mm-hmm. allows him to kind of enter the notes um and uh yeah. I, that's just something i've never seen in a movie before in a in a movie like this before uh and it, so, it, it,
0: i think it, i think it understands him and i think it understands the music too uh, which is great for a musical biopic, um, and his his life after the movie ends was no less kind of harrowing. Uh, I mean, when Although he got he beat was, up and he lost.
3: Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, he, you know, but uh, you know, as the he, he was he was uh, you know more uh, widely embraced, you know, in his later years. Yes. Uh uh, the, uh you know he's one of the rare 50s era musicians that really found their footing in some ways much much later uh mm-hmm. and uh and didn't die in the middle of their you know peak uh so uh but it's a, it's a really really good movie and you know Ethan Hawke is just killing it these days He's just very much, he, almost, yeah. Almost every movie he's in, he's like fantastic. Yeah,
1: because I was I was gonna I was gonna interject a joke here: is Ethan Hawke, you know, stealing Nicolas Cage's career model by propping up an excellent performance like every four years with you know stuff like Sinister Two and you know a hundred movies like that because he makes a lot of B movies, uh, but you know he's he's a great actor and uh, I I don't get it sometimes. But I then guess he,
3: you do, you have to get work, but I mean, then he's in things like you know, but he takes chances a lot. Like I mean, he's he's in Maudie, for instance, that's out right now, mm-hmm. where he plays opposite yeah. Sally Hawkins, um, and uh, and you know he's he's the supporting role to her uh, her lead, and uh, I, that's just an adventurous choice, you know, to to do this British movie, you know. Um, yeah. uh, I don't see anybody. Uh, any other uh, American actors, you know, taking these choices. Right. But, uh, he
0: He does take, he does take risks. And I think maybe as a younger person, I think he's always been ambitious uh, and had, uh, had a very artistic sense to him, but for some reason, as a younger person, it came off as a bit too pretentious and pompous. And I think he's kind of, I think he needed to reach this age to, to, to make that feel seamless. Like it feels like he, he, he's reached a level of maturity that allows him to bury himself in this material. And it's, it, it's, it's more, it it feels honest. Um, he's gotten a lot more character
3: in his face too. He's not, he's not, he's not, uh,
0: he's
3: not, uh, he's still handsome, but he's not, uh, you know, he's got lines in his face that, that, uh, I don't know, speak volumes about, you know, uh, uh, experience, I guess. And, um, and, and it makes, makes him a little bit more believable and in, in rougher roles. I mean, like he, he was playing a, he played a, a, tr- a tremendous jerk <laughs> in, in the movie called the phenom <laughs> about a young baseball player. That's sort of driven crazy by his uh, demanding dad. And, uh, He's just fantastic at it, i mean just as mean as as I've ever seen a character be and uh but uh, you know I just feel like he's he's reaching for things and uh, i think something about mm-hmm. his uh his uh his collaborations with uh richard linkletter and and Julie delphi. Has mm-hmm. has has really like unleashed something in him, and uh, I think we're gonna probably see a lot more good stuff from him. I hope so, at least.
0: Well, I saw. Well, obviously, uh, I can't. I, mean, I live in Austin, so I can't badmouth him too much, or I'll get pistol whipped. So yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. That's all right. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, I've I've seen quite a few things, but only like uh, I'll just mention two little things. Not really little, but uh, one of them's little. One of them's uh, like a. Amateur movie uh, That was made back in 2004 That I think I just found on Amazon Prime And I hadn't seen it before But it's right up my alley It's called Camp Hollywood It's about a guy That uh, gave himself like 90 days In Hollywood He comes from Canada To make it as a musician I think He stayed at the Highland Gardens Hotel uh, Which anybody that loves L.A. Knows the Highland Gardens Hotel it's been home to a lot of um, famous people over the years as they struggled. And it was where uh, Janis Joplin OD'd. Uh, and that room oh, wow. has been kept kind of kind of intact. Uh, it's kind of a special room there. Um, anyway, uh, he finds a large community of primarily actors that are staying there uh, until they hit it big, uh, including uh, Malin Ackerman. Malin Ackerman. Mm. Um, but anyway, it just he, he decides to film the residence for the 90 days that he's there. <clears throat> and I, I, you know, I love L.A. I love, I love that the whole life, and I really found those individual stories appealing. And in L.A., I mean, there's such a diverse group of people that are all coming there with their own dreams. Uh, and there's, you know, whack jobs and, uh, very sincere, sincerely talented people. And all of those are represented in this movie, including some actors that have been in the business for 50 years and they live there in that hotel, uh, actors that everyone would recognize. And I can't tell you their names right now (laughs) (laughs) a few weeks ago, I did, but I recognized them, um, Anyway, so so I, I would recommend that. It's like a it, – it's a really fun uh, 90 minutes. And then I saw um, Ozark, all 10 episodes of it, the Jason Bateman series that's on Netflix. Hmm.
3: Hmm. And There's so uh, much
0: Netflix stuff out there. It's crazy. It's nuts. Very much, very much. And their, um, their quality has gone down a little bit. I, I mean Ozark – is uh, it's 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 good. The opening episode is as dark as you could imagine, and and it really goes balls out that opening episode. You're like, oh my god, what will the rest of the show be? This is amazing, <laughs> and it, it loses it. loses itself pretty quickly. It, it's such a balancing act to to make something that dark and try to infuse humor in it. And they start to try in the second episode, and it you feel it losing its identity. It it gets it back here and there, various moments throughout the series, and then finally the finale. I I love the way they tied everything together in the finale. So it, it's not that it's uh, unsatisfying. It's just that the, it doesn't live up to the promise of that four hour of that first hour completely for me. I think mean, Jason what? Bateman's great. Laura Linney.
3: What's the, um, What's the
0: concept? Is it? What is it? He's a he's a money launder he's a money launderer, okay. and uh, he feels that he and his family's lives are threatened by the a Mexican drug lord that he works with. I see. And And uh, he hatches he hatches a scheme to save his life. To to he says, "Look, I'll go to the Ozarks. There's a community there. You, you, we we can launder a hundred million dollars a year there." And so the drug lord takes him up on it, and mm. uh, the show is a constant battle of him trying to launder money and keep his family alive. Julia Gardner uh is is a standout performance in it. Uh and, and Isai Morales as well. Uh um, oh, Julia like Gardner it. was uh the perks of being a wallflower, Julia Gardner. Oh, okay, um, I think that's probably what she's best known for. The Get Down girls, she's been grandma. She was Lily Lily Tomlin's granddaughter in uh, that movie. Oh okay. I remember her now. So it does have some it does have some stand performances in it. And in the first minute of the show, uh Laura Linney is uh, shown uh, uh doing it doggy style. I mean, like, who could <laughs> resist? <laughs> okay. okay, I'm sorry. Doug. So
1: I I I just so something I've I've been wanting to say, like uh, I think Dean should interview Madeline Stowe, Catherine Heigel and Laura Linney because those are my Dan Aykroyds. Like I <laughs> <them>. <laughs> really, really, I do, I absolutely do, and I don't know why. It's it's I I you know if I really start thinking about there's something that's uh, unaffectionate about their performances. Uh, I think Madeline Stowe did it to me. Like there was there was a year back in the in the '90s where she had four films that came out, and you could have intercut any of the sequences that they used in the trailer and with any of the movies. It was that same. It was I'm I'm desperate and I'm scared and I'm shooting you at the same time with a gun. And it was like <laughs> it was in like three different movie trailers, and I was just like, you know what? I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> she just
3: rubs me the wrong way. Laura uh, Lindy, though deal. surprises me. I've always I've 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 always had a. Uh, you know, uh, an affection for her, particularly uh, after uh, You Can Count On Me. Uh, uh, that's that's just a, a performance that really uh, s- speaks to me. Um,
0: I, uh, you know, go ahead. so, I, I you know, I just... You don't, you don't have to have a reason for it. I mean, my, my reasoning for Dana Aykroyd, I, I mean, it, it, it almost defies expe- explanation. Uh, right. There's just something about him. And I know yeah. that there's somebody like that for everybody. I, yeah,
1: you I just say, don't like your I will say, yeah.
0: the, <laughs> one, the one
1: thing Laura Linney's done that I, I actually uh, adored was Nocturnal Animals. I thought that part, that bit she played, that small part was That just, one scene. Yeah. That one scene. It was just – it was remarkable, and I have to give her that. And I didn't think she was capable of it. And I was I was actually stunned because I was like, "Who the fuck is that?" That's like that's so amazing and frightening at the
0: same time. And yeah, I'll, I'll give that to her. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: All right, Dallas. Uh,
0: what have you What have you seen? You have any movies that you've seen lately that oh you want to spark? Oh God,
3: let's
1: see. <laughs> let's see if the, this sparks any fun conversations. Okay, let me start with the let me start with the taco movies first. Uh, <laughs> I told you earlier, the hidden. I I don't know what there is to say about it. It's it's a fast Pace, action, sci-fi uh, film that just, I find it highly enjoyable. I mean, it's a young Kyle McLaughlin and Michael Nouri in the only role that he was ever worth watching on screen, I think. It's, it's a huge loader to L.A., and it's a film that shouldn't work on so many different levels, but I, I, if it's on, I'll watch it, and they they had a, a big screen you know showing of it here at the local Alamo Drafthouse, so I had to go and uh, it it was just great to see it again on the big
3: screen. So uh don't know what to say about it. I mean, it feels it's like a fun, a, It's a fun kind of upscale B-movie uh, yeah. that, uh, you know, sort of like it came around the same time as like RoboCop and somewhat, uh I, yeah. I seem to remember. Yeah. And and uh, I remember thinking, boy, this is a new – this is sort of a – I don't know, like a – like a really well-produced B-movie. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: It, it feels like some weird cross between Aliens and Terminator and, you know, the actors take themselves seriously enough that you you invest in it, but, you know, not so seriously that, you know, it, you can't have a, quite a few jokes in it. And I, I don't know, I just, I found, uh, I, I think I've listened to a lot of behind the scenes on it and I was kind of shocked with a lot of the, the different techniques they use to, to get the alien, you know, the multiple aliens to all all have a similar characteristic. And uh, I I don't know, it's just one of those little gems. Like when I used to manage a video store back in the late 80s, early 90s, it was, that was something I could always recommend to people. And they would always come back thinking I was a genius uh, because it's just a fun route. Yeah. Uh, Let me also say, uh, this was kind of by accident. And this is kind of why I love my wife. I went out to go grabbed some food. And when I came back, uh, I was like, are you watching God told me to kill? And she's like, yeah, I went through a (laughs) hundred movies. And I was like, that's why I love you because a hundred movies and you're watching this by yourself. And so I just jumped in on it. And it's one of those things that uh, Larry Cohen films, like Mm. when I watch them, I'm always kicked. I'm always, I always wonder like, and, and God told me to kill, for instance, like without giving away the climax of it, it's uh let's see, I, I, I think I had a quote. What was a good quote for it? It's
2: uh
1: Ah Lordy, uh what was the Maud Lebowski quote? My art has been commended as being strongly vaginal. <laughs> <is something>. Like <laughs> but, but but seriously, like like this film is pre-scanners and pre video drone, but we don't talk about this film. And like at the climax of this film, I am disturbed on several levels. Like, I yes. am just like, it it, 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 you don't want to give it away, but like, I, and Larry Cohen, like he goes for broken these things. Like you, you wouldn't believe he's a low budget filmmaker. Cause you watch his films and he's got, you know, he's got these stagings in New York, huge crowd scenes. And you're like, you couldn't do this today. This would cost a trillion dollars. And, and like, he goes for broke every time and his payoffs kinda deliver and they were they were always on that weird level. And like you watch the end of this film and you're like, you know, Cronenberg doesn't have anything on Cohen. Like this I'm upset a couple of times in this film. So I don't know. It's uh I I, I I love the strong performances. He always seems to get he always seems to get these actors that are you know, a little past their prime and they're not getting phone calls anymore and he puts them in these like little five second roles and, and they're just so strong. So uh, I highly recommend like watching a Larry Cohen film if you're if you're looking for a taco movie
0: because I think those. God, great. <laughs> God told me to kill and the hidden. That's quite, that's quite a double feature. By the way, <laughs> yeah, last, last yeah. month, okay. last month T, TCM TCM has this underground series, and so they played Rabid, uh, the Cronenberg uh, Rabid. <laughs> oh I, God! I I mean that I, about I, four weeks ago. You we probably watched it the, 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 around the same time. I think we did. Uh, man, that was that was difficult. Uh, <laughs> I love how in in all the all the scare scene, all the scare scenes you get that music stinger like do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he
1: he really he really got better once he got Howard Shore cuz I don't think Shore worked on Rabbit, did he? No, if he did. That like, was,
3: was That was too early. So. Yeah, that yeah. was too early. Yeah, like yeah, it, I mean, Shore came Shore came into him like probably into his world like somewhere in the early '80s. Yeah, uh it yeah, from, from from, from Saturday Night Live.
0: <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, I mean, Shore
3: yeah. was doing Saturday Night Live during this during, during the making of <laughs> of uh, Rabbit, probably. So, uh, but uh, yeah,
0: I Dull. I agree. <laughs> 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 I'm just, that's what I'm going to do whenever I scare people. I'm just going to run up behind and go, "Doll." You know the great
3: thing about to go back to Larry Cohen a little bit, but this 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 applies to to uh, Cronenberg too is that he he uh, he he always puts in some uh, some very very interesting sort of subversive subtext to his movies. You know, uh, it really it's obviously does. it's obviously there, and God told me to uh but also uh you know in things like q or the stuff especially, which is probably my favorite of his movies but but also it's alive and and uh and even to something like well even to some of the things that he's written like phone booth uh uh is is one of my favorites of uh, his right, screenplays right. uh but uh, there's a there's a great book out there called and I think it's out of print but you might be able to find it somewhere called uh, incredibly strange films uh it was put out by a uh, um uh, a San Francisco outfit uh that was uh, putting out books about strange strange uh subject matters like a whole book about you know psychedelic mushrooms or something like that but um he has a great they do a fantastic career interview with him that, that spans over 10 or 15 pages and uh, uh big pages too uh that's you know absolutely essential if you're if you're into Larry Cohen uh, uh you can't get more information about him than you get through this interview but the book is filled with you know uh interviews with people like uh, you know, Russ Meyer and uh and uh Dave Friedman and uh, uh Ray Dennis Steckler, uh Herschel Gordon Lewis, uh those kind of people. So uh but you know, if you want a really great film book, uh that one's one of my favorites. Uh well
0: I've just I've just written it down. I'm i I'm, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. You know what? I was just I was just thinking, Dean. You know who I want to see in the celebrity bowling thing? Uh I want to see uh Truman Capote face off against Sherman Hensley. I, I think <laughs> that would be like <laughs> they have a whole
3: they have a they have an episode where uh two of the uh members of uh of uh the Good Times cast, uh uh Janae Dubois and Jimmy JJ Walker. Uh, go up against, uh, like, Whitman Mayo and Meredith McRae or something like that. Yeah, Whitman Ooh. Mayo with Grady I, I on, wanna see, on
0: I want to see Nipsey Russell face off against Bud Court.
3: Nipsey Russell is on here. Nipsey Russell (laughs) is in here. Uh, Ed Asner, Bo Svensson, uh, uh, Billy Barty does an episode, which is pretty fun. Uh, 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 William Demarest, you know, who was probably like almost 90 years old at the time. Oh, my God. Uh, Okay, uh, okay,
1: okay. Real quick, I, I have to interject. I can't have everyone thinking that I'm just a taco movie guy. I got to tell you about some of the other things. <laughs> like a real serious <laughs> yeah, <is> movie. <laughs> if my friends listen to this and they're like, "Really, Dallas? That's that's all you're listening?" to? Okay, let me let me talk. Stalker, the Tarkovsky film.
3: Oh yes, which so
1: that which film, I have
3: to admit, I I have never seen. It's 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 a it's a blind spot. So well, so for me, Tarkovsky is a blind spot. Like i I've, I've tried.
1: So hard to watch Solaris, probably a dozen times in, in the last twenty years, and I can never get into it. And uh, I, uh, Stalker, like I started reading about it, and it just seemed like uh, this is this is good gateway Tarkovsky for me, and it it totally it totally delivered. So the the basic setup is it's like a post apocalyptic landscape, and this area has been hit by something. You don't know what that thing is. Could be aliens, could be nuclear. It's, it's not made clear. But what is clear is the government has locked away this zone because it's dangerous. It's locked up away from the people, and there's, it, it, it makes Escape from New York look like nothing the security they have around this. Mm. And uh, the stalkers are essentially these people who are paid uh, illegally to journey folks into the zone. And uh, in, in the zone, there's a rumor to be there's a room, if you can make it across this, this dangerous wasteland, if you make it into this room, your deepest desire will come true. So okay. In terms, of, in terms of science fiction, very exciting uh, to describe. And I will say this, it is Tarkovsky, and it's, it's, it's very uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? It's very deliberate. It takes its time. Uh, the, it's the exact opposite of Dunkirk. It's it, the quiet moments. They're there, and, and, and if you're not, if you're not patient, you're going to turn it off. Like you're like, damn, mm-hmm. yeah, this movie could use some Hans Zimmer. <laughs> we need some Hans Zimmer to really liven things up and remind people the risk that's happening here. But I, I found it totally engaging. I thought I, I felt like, uh, cinematically, it was. It was ugliness so beautifully. Like, uh, I, I was I was just engaged. And As I'm watching it, I'm I'm literally chalking off the, the different, you know, oddly enough, the horror filmmakers, I feel, who, like, were influenced by this film. Because I see Cronenberg in there. I see uh, not Carpenter so much as his style, but, like, when I see the, like, if you take the thing, the best set design from the thing, it feels like it was lifted from this film.
2: This mm. film has,
1: like, this film does otherworldly in a way that's just, Uh, it just blows your mind. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. difficult to talk about it, like without giving away too much, but uh, it's, you know, we're, we're watching stalkers, our main character, and it's kind of unclear why he's going in there. Uh, but it, it's it's kind of it, it depends on like your level of if you like old twilight Zone sort of stretched out long in russian you're gonna like this film <laughs> uh, there, there's there's definitely a payoff at the end that you don't see coming there's uh uh and and the the motives for the people that go in the the, the inner fighting as they go and and just some of the strange weirdness it's it it just kind of reminds you of having a really great sci- sci-fi discussion, which they do. They have a lot. There's a lot of talk. There's almost too much talk. So we could have borrowed a little bit of Dunkirk from this too. I mean, it didn't have to like. They didn't have to talk everything to death. But that's kind of what it is. It's a, it's cerebral sci-fi. So uh, I highly recommend it. Well, that's good. Uh, I can't. You yeah, I can't say how you've it acquitted yourself well. I
0: mean, they're not just ta- they're not not just taco movies that you've talked about. <laughs> threw in some Tarkovsky, so that's you acquitted yourself. I, I had
3: to do something. I, I wanted to like relate on
1: something
0: <laughs> instead of a
3: Damn. instead of a taco movie. It's a Tarko movie.
0: A Tarco <laughs> movie.
2: <laughs> okay. Oh, <man>. All <laughs> right. Let's close out with a
0: list. Uh, we have enough time for a list. This is from. Okay. What is this from? from the ringer.com we've never done a list of theirs before mm. this list is of the 50 best uh, bad movies mm. all right. I'm not going to go through all 50 I'm just going to do the top 10 as usual alright number 10 uh, is Speed 2 Cruise Control which do I think, think is just a bad wow. movie wow that- that's god-awful.
3: Yeah. I mean, is there any level of fun in that movie at all? I mean, I have to say I haven't seen it, but, uh, but is, is there, is it fun to make fun of at least? Cause that's what we're talking about. Oh, right? no. <laughs> no, it's not, it's
1: not even so bad that it's fun. It's just, it's so long and it's, it's a boat going very slow, and it's like, they call it speed, it's just <laughs> terrible. Like, I just, well, it, it reminds me, it, it reminds me of like, like, what was the problem with Mad Max Thunderdome? It's like, hey, let's, let's take everything we like about Mad Max. Let's take away his cars and let's have him adopt like a whole shit ton of kids. Let's,
0: That's let's, what everybody goes like, to Mad Max for. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let's,
1: let's, let's take a, a huge race in speed and let's put him on a really slow boat.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, where they're in water and you can't really tell how fast they're going anyway. If they were going 500 miles an hour or 10 miles right. an hour, it'd look the same. <laughs> yeah, it, it's utterly
1: forgettable movie, except you just want your time back.
3: Yeah, and plus, uh, it's it, it's uh, there's no Keanu Reeves. Who's the villain in it?
0: Uh, DeFoe. Oh, DeFoe. Defoe. Oh, that's Oh. Defoe. Right. Okay, so. It, it has it now. has some elements. It has some elements that might make it a good bad movie, because Defoe is a villain that I think it, he's po- he's going to die soon. He's got copper poisoning or something, and so throughout the movie he puts these leech- leeches on his body to suck <laughs> out the <laughs> copper from his blood. Oh my <laughs> god! Mean, it is it is Man. a lot more entertaining to, to describe the movie than it is to watch it. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Okay, number nine <laughs> is. Uh, well, this is debatable it it's over the top definitely a terrible movie Stallone, uh, it, it is
3: it is uh i uh, i i would I would throw that in there i think I mean the Cobra is better you know yes. <laughs> as, as, Cobra really deserves to be in the top ten over that i think cobra is just absolute fun.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: It, it it is fun to to watch it and to uh to just get humor uh, from its ridiculousness. Uh but over the top, you know, it's uh, it's uh, over the top has a sentimental quality to it too that that kind of taps down that kind of stuff sometimes. But right. uh um, yeah, that
0: makes it more more even more of an embarrassment. And, yeah, and the child performance—the child performance is truly one of the worst child performances. Oh my right. God, I forgot
1: about that awful kid. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, that is terrible. <laughs> Higher than nine. Yeah.
2: The loan yeah, being yeah. Horrible. Oh, no, but you know. Like.
0: There, there are some days when I think Cobra is the best movie I've ever made. <laughs> I'm like – I watch Cobra, and I'm like, you know, you don't get this shit in a David Lean movie. I mean he could yeah. not pull us off. So, so I, uh, I just have to say,
1: is Stop or My Mom
0: Will Shoot worse than Over the Top? Or like uh,
1: – seriously, like I, I don't know. I have, is that the worst alone the film they could have put in this?
0: Or Rhinestone – I'm sorry. I like Ryan Stone. You
3: like it?
1: He
0: has, so, no, you like you it on the he, same
3: level as that other one. No. Yeah.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like it as great art, Dean. I, I, just, okay. I just have have real enjoyment watching it. Okay. Uh,
1: I mean, I mean, honestly, Stallone and Dolly Parton, like it's like a train wreck. You have to watch it.
0: <laughs> yeah, just to mm-hmm. see how it turns out, yeah.
3: I think there's it's less insistent with uh, that that feeling is less insistent with uh, stopping my mom will shoot with the pairing of Stallone and Estelle Getty.
0: I, th- I think. Oh, that Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, I, but I, th- I think also, I mean, th- that kind of the, the the differences between the tough guy and the and the mother that chews him out. I, I mean, that's kind of typical comedy dynamics. Yeah. But the 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 plot of over the top going to make it big and buy, buy a new rig and a better life for his son with an arm wrestling competition in Vegas or wherever it is. I mean, that's kind of delicious, too.
3: Because,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, how <laughs> cinematic
0: is an arm wrestling match, really? <laughs> <laughs> that... it, yeah, exactly. Okay, Num- number eight is uh, Final Destination, the first one from 2000. See now, I think huh. that's an okay
3: movie. I think that's you know, I think it's uh, you know, inventive. Uh, I, I I would put that on the level of like a high high level B movie. Of just yeah. oh, it's, you know, I mean, you, you can make fun of it, yeah, but uh, it, you know, it it the whole series kind of distinguishes itself with its uh, with uh, cleverness. Uh, because what we're going to see in Final Destination <clears throat> is, you know, the uh, sort of Rube Goldberg type of, <clears throat> uh, you know, Mac, you know, ways of people dying, you know, things Rube Goldberg kind of things that lead to people's, you know, violent deaths, and yeah. uh, I, I, and I on that to, level, it delivers. It. So. Yeah,
1: I have to agree. I don't, I don't think it belongs on this list because I think they went out of their way to make something that, like I didn't see it in the theater when it came out. But a friend cornered me and like said, "Okay, we're gonna watch this," and I, I laughed my ass off. Like, it, it, and that that was the whole point. Like he wanted me to watch this, and it you, it, it could be a drinking game. It's 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 a fu- it's a funny movie, and
3: it knows it's being funny. So it is. It does. It it has it has a knowing quality
0: about it. So that that's that's, that's yeah. a big difference. Yeah. By the way, in this list, oh. you'll think that this, this is one of those lists where this person <coughs> never saw a movie prior to 1980 something. Oh, uh-huh. my uh, God. In the, in the top 10 of this list. But if you go further into the list, there are older movies that are represented here, just not okay. in the top 10. Okay. His number seven is actually, you know, alongside Cobra, would be my number two pick for the best bad movie. And that is Anaconda.
3: It's fun. <laughs> it is a fun it's a fun movie. It's got a really fun performance from Job Void in it. Uh it it's, uh, again, you know, it's again, it's another like high level B movie, I think. Uh, think uh, Isn't that right? Uh
0: yeah. uh yeah, I think so, right? Yeah, I don't
1: I don't me- I don't remember
0: actually seeing this film. Like mm. I, I don't think I Oh, you need to see it. Oh, you gotta see it. But but it, it is it is there's elements of it that are undeniably awful and ridiculous and silly and laughable, and it is kind of debatable whether the filmmaker knows this. But I I know for a fact that John Voight knew it, and he was he that is the one of the great scenery chewing performances of the past twenty years. Uh, <laughs> He is is a revelation I'm serious It's like you have Olivier giving the performance Of his life (laughs) I might watch it
1: I could use a John Boyd laugh I don't know (laughs) who couldn't Oh god
0: he's good at it He's so good at it It's got a
3: pretty It's got a headless cast
0: It does Uh, I I mean mean, it's got got
3: Eric Stoltz And Owen
0: Wilson You know J-Lo Yeah Yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I was interviewing okay. somebody, no, I that, somebody that worked – I was interviewing somebody that worked on the production of that, and, I, and we are were, we we're talking – Adam Fickman, um, the guy that made all those Disney movies with The Rock. And so he was coming on to talk about this a movie he just made with The Rock, and I said, I, we're going to get to The Rock, but I got to know. Tell, tell me a John Voigt story from Anaconda. <laughs> and he was like he was like, You would not believe the number of people that asked me about Anaconda. Uh, and and uh, he said John Voigt was amazing. Like we are all amazed by John Voigt that movie. So it's a great it's a, fun movie.
3: It's a worthwhile movie. Uh it's a, it, it's yeah. worthwhile on
0: that level. So Okay. The rest of the list is not as good as Anaconda and Over the Top. Uh, Their number six is white chicks, which I I have the painful idea some way in. Painful,
3: hard I, to look, I, hard to look at those characters, you know, because the, you know, cause they have to go go overboard with the makeup, you know, to make it. Yeah, they look believable. like Iggy
0: Azalea. Right?
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, they, they they don't look like humans, so it's really hard to buy. <laughs> but I suppose, I suppose if you kind of get into the that. That wheelhouse there just a little bit, uh maybe, but uh I find it just difficult to look at. I I never watched it. I, I uh I
1: recall I, I thought I recall that from being a complete flop, wasn't it? Or am I remembering incorrectly? Like I thought that just tanked. Uh, yeah. I thought that did. Oh it did. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Big for time. A while. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh number five. Joel Schumacher. Has apologized for the film Batman and Robin. Is, is there any delight in this film?
3: There's no delight in this.
1: There's no. It's a, this, was, this was nipples on the batsuit, right? Yeah. Oh, well, there you have yeah. it. <laughs> that was the whole point in the film. <laughs> Fantastic.
3: Has anybody ever gotten raked over the coals over two two pieces, little pieces of rubber, like uh, <laughs> like Joseph Walker asked? if he just left those little two pieces out, it'd be, oh it'd be great. But uh, no, I mean, you know, it's it's it, there's. I don't think there's any fun in in it, really. I'm sorry to say, it's just uh, And by
0: the way, Joel Schumacher, Joel Schumacher is a great guy. He's a very endearing guy, and and he will. Uh, he says, "Look, I, I I I take full responsibility for it, uh, for my two <laughs> Batman movies, and a lot of people like Batman Forever." But uh, but he says, look, it is the direction the studio wanted to go. He said, I wanted to go darker, and they were ready to, to go, you know, art pop, deco, kind of popping colors and cheesy, and so I just followed their dictate. Um, so. You know, I mean, you know, it's another – also, the, the, just the
3: – boy, the, the villains. You know, Schwarzenegger is that villain. It's just, uh, just yeah. so – plotting and you know, That's you get, I went to it excited because Alicia Silverstone was playing background and they just did nothing with her and uh, mm-hmm. uh yeah so I it's, it's it was radical And that was the, that was the time I was still
1: fully in love with Uma Thurman and Yeah. I was just like, huh? <laughs> <Did you look> <laughs> <bad>? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: She she
3: didn't make an impression at all. <clears throat> you know, another background uh, Uma Thurman who
0: was You know, out of everything that Ethan Hawke's done, Uma Thurman's probably the best. Don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Oh, he's bored to be blue. Does not compare. (laughs) Okay. Number four. uh, 1987, Golden Globus, uh, which also over the top is uh, Golden Globus. Uh, Like, they signed Stallone to this, like, multi-year... Fifty million dollar contract or something. He was their man at that time. But this isn't a Stallone movie. Number four is Masters of the Universe. Dolph Lundgren. Oh wow! Never seen it.
3: Never seen <sighs> even a second of it.
1: I but think I saw it once, and it was it was it was god awful. It, it definitely no that deserves to be here. Uh, but I, I don't remember anything from it.
0: Mm, I don't just, remember much of it either. Yeah. Here's what they have to say about it. This 1987 adaptation of a Mattel toy line has everything a good, bad movie needs. Dolph Lundgren, a villainous turn by a future Oscar-nominated actor. Who was the villain in that? Oh, who was the villain in that? Skeletor. Oh, my gosh. That's right. Yeah. An utter lack of budget, an astonishing amount of terrible special effects, and an ability – to truly make you question how the movie was ever greenlit. From conception to execution, everything seems like an unmitigated mistake. (laughs) Taken as a whole, though, it's just a remarkable thing to behold.
3: Mm.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) Number three Three. is – is this the only movie that Frank Marshall directed, The Congo? Oh song. my God! Uh, uh,
1: Laura Linney. Uh, uh, yes, long time. Your favorite.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think this was around the time I started hating Laura
3: Linney, so this is perfect. <laughs> wow! Well, there you
2: go. I, there again, you go.
3: another one I've never seen.
1: So. Oh my God! It's so. I I I used to love reading Michael Crichton books, and let's just say the movie. Uh, and they're cheesy. I get it. They are cheesy, and, and but like, and, and maybe you couldn't make Congo into a movie because obviously they didn't. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's horrid. It's it's painful to watch, uh, and it, it's trying so hard to be like Spielberg esque in many ways. But right, right. I I, I guess if you, which
0: you understand. Yeah, uh, I mean Frank Frank Marshall came from that school. Yeah, you know, he 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 produced right, right. for Spielberg forever. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it, it totally made sense. They were trying to do that. But uh, I, I guess the only thing I really remember, like, watching monkeys being cut in half with laser beams, things like that, that was actually that was pretty entertaining in a very weird sort of way. But, yeah, the tone was all over the place on that film.
0: <laughs> yeah. Number two. Man, I remember seeing this my first trip to L.A. Uh, wild Wild West, Barry Sonnenfeld. One of the infamous disasters of the past twenty-five years, twenty-six years. However you know,
3: you know that's on. Uh, I've never seen that either, and it's
0: on Amazon it.
3: Prime. And I was thinking about checking it out. Just, uh, is there anything fun about it?
0: It um, has some funny parts in it, uh, but, but very kind of very kind of sly, funny parts. Like there's a, a single shot of a little dog who sticks his his head in a, in a, like a gramophone record player. And it looks just like the RCA logo. I mean, Uh like little bitty clever Sonnenfeld things in that movie. Um, because he's a funny guy. Uh, but the, the movie's a misfire and Sonnenfeld actually talked about why it's a misfire. First of all, it's a misfire. I think because it was overproduced because the producer Peters, uh, really stuck his nose in every creative decision and forced some things into the story that probably didn't belong there. But secondly, as Sonnenfeld put it, you had two people in the movie that wanted to play the funny man. Uh, and usually it works that there's a, a, a funny person and then there's the serious foil. Um, and, but both Kevin Klein and Will Smith wanted to be the funny men. And so it just, it, they canceled each other out. It just did not work. That was Suddenfield's reasoning. Okay.
3: Ah, uh, well, I, I'm 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 going to try and look at it. <laughs> I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little trepidatious. I've never been a huge fan of the TV show, to be quite frankly, frank about it. So uh, TV show always kind of gave me a headache. But uh, uh, you know, maybe I can always cut it off. It's free. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, I've watched five why,
3: minutes of anything. Why
2: do yeah. I
1: always feel like if John <laughs> Peters gets too involved in something, it goes off the rails? I, I don't yeah. know. I feel like I've, I've 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 heard so many stories about when John Peters like really. Jumps in and starts to rework the screenplay and forces people like you get these these amazing like abortion films. It's, it's
0: well, terrible. could no, it have anything right.
3: to I mean? Could it have anything to do with the fact that he was a hairdresser before he became a before he became a, a producer? He just got the producing job because cause Barbara Streisand liked him, and uh, so he, he doesn't have any. He doesn't have his roots yeah. in any kind of thing that's really creative. If he's gotten any, if, 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 if there might be some creativity that's rubbed off on him somehow, but uh, you know that's not a recipe for success. <laughs> well, he knows how to recolor those roots anyway. <laughs> right. <So>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's funny. Uh, uh, okay. okay, they're number one. Uh, I don't think has really any merit. It's a bad movie, good movie, or otherwise, is uh, Godzilla the uh, Emmerich Godzilla?
3: Oh, come on! That's a bore. I don't know. It doesn't feel like they they put a lot of work into this. List. Yeah, you know, it's kind of lazy. Uh, but I mean, you know, uh, I know there's older titles on there, but I mean. Certainly, you know, how could you not have, you know, Plan 9 as number one? It's like the Susan Kane of bad movies, and uh, I don't think anything's really – the closest thing that's really come to unseating it would be something like The Room or uh, Showgirls, uh, both of which are so bad that they've come around to being great. Uh, or, but, or,
0: some, or something like or something like Neil Abutes The Wicker Man. Which which he exactly. and Nicholas Cage still defend that.
3: Yeah.
0: Exactly. Another another or great
1: – I mean, like, you can't make
0: a list like this and
1: ignore the genius career of Gary Busey. I mean, come on. <laughs> I've been working – Yeah, we're years.
3: bulletproof
1: or whatever.
3: <laughs> I, I, well, you know, I mean, of course, I just finished writing about, uh, uh, you know, fooling around. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, exactly, exactly. Which which and, is and – uh, that's. And, that's why he comes to mind because I
1: remember loving him so much in that era, and then I was stunned at how much work he's actually had since then, and it's just like these are terrible movies he's been making, <laughs> yeah, actually before... I
0: take it back guys this this guy does not have any movies prior to nineteen eighty six in it oh, that's so the, whole, the whole fifty up. the whole fifties, yeah,
3: so no robot okay. monster, you know, you don't have robot you don't have the Apple you know which would obviously oh. deserve to be in there. You don't have here's two of my personal favorites, uh the incredible melting man uh from 77 and also I think from maybe from 78 is laser blast which I know has been done by MST3K. So that's at least gotten some uh, traction in that world. Uh it, it, like many of those movies like Mitchell and so forth have. Uh, and uh and for more 80s or nineties movie, maybe something like Super Mario Brothers, uh which is right. uh, I want Andy uh,
1: Warhol's bad that was trying to be bad and I kinda have a soft spot for that film, why like I will watch it, but it's yeah. not a good movie. Terrible.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or trash even too. Uh yeah, exactly. is another one. Exactly. Yeah, so that, those would be they, smart
0: they don't, they don't even have uh they don't even have Birdemic on this list. I mean, what kind yeah. of bullshit list is there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the thing is, you know, I was watching a
3: little bit of both the bird dimmick and the room just the other day because I was just trying to familiarize uh, a person I was watching with, with, uh, you know, with, because the disaster artist is coming out and I wanted him to see a little bit of the room. And, uh, boy when you talk about those two movies and by, and troll 2 by the way um right when you when you talk about those two movies though, that uh, particularly bird dimic I, I was watching that movie and i was like i can't believe they just have done everything wrong like they just every single <laughs> thing that they could do is wrong and i'm like is this on pur- this has to be on purpose nobody can make this many mistakes in a movie it has to be done as some kind of performance art kind of uh, thing to show you when things are wrong in a movie, you will notice. Uh, and, uh, and you think you don't know anything about movies, but you do. You know, I'm talking about the average person now. Right, and right. Yeah. Uh, you do. And, and Bird Dimmick reminds you, uh, or The Room, both remind you of like, wow, even the worst movies that came out from the studios are sort of light years ahead of these, just in terms of them being able to do do the most basic things correctly. And, uh, and you know, so they're, they're fascinating movies to watch. Bad movies are fascinating to watch in in, in that they teach you uh, something about what not to do. Obviously, yeah. And I mean, when I went well, to the video
1: store, I used to take home bad movies because I wanted to see what would I do to make this a good film. And it was kind of like, that was, that was my film school. And it, it was, it was
0: well, and, I think- and, you know, especially, especially in the horror genre where they, they had to come up with a new horror teenage horror flick every weekend. Uh, that genre is rife with uh disposable fun stuff. But, uh, yeah. with Tommy Wiseau, you I see Tommy Wiseau, and I see a a, a, a man under an, an intense internal conflict, <laughs> because I really do. I really do believe he thought he made a masterpiece, and then he somehow has had to come to terms with the fact that this movie makes people laugh because of how bad it is. And if he wants to uh, be involved in that kind of revolution that his movie started. He has to kind of begrudgingly accept that fact. Uh, I'm what sure that what he saying? has. I mean, has yeah. he come
3: out and said? Has he come out and said that he meant to make it like that? That it's you know that it was no. meant as a comedy. No, but
0: he, do, he 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 does have screenings, and he does like appreciate the audience's love. Uh, he does express appreciation for it, but there's this, this side of him that still feels like he made a masterpiece. He knows the he knows the reality of it. But that's at odds with his motivations. Uh, for mm. do, you know, it's a kind of an interesting thing. Yeah,
3: well, <laughs> that'll make the Franco movie interesting too. I think for them yeah, to
0: explore so. that. So. All right. Okay. So we started with uh, started with uh, two uh, two great great actors, and we end with uh, one of the worst movies ever made. That's what <laughs> wow. I call a show. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's covering the full spectrum spout- right there. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Dallas, my friend, thank you so much for supporting the show and for being such a great uh, contributor to this episode. Thank you. Oh
1: God! Yeah, no. Thank you guys for having me. Seriously, I, you know, it's uh, it's truly an honor, and I've had a great time just talking to you guys. I really appreciate
3: it. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you uh, chiming in all the time too, and uh, giving us giving us the the enthusiasm. Uh it's it's really heartening. It's good to hear. Yeah. It's always good to hear from our fans. We love it. So. Outstanding. We do.
0: All right. So uh next week we'll be back Adam. I think we'll join us next week. Okay. Blu ray time again. Speaking about bad movies. <laughs> 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 that's <laughs> true. But that's where okay. I
3: get all well, my
1: suggestions from. The Adam shows. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> movie